0: the most important thing is to be true to yourself. We say to girls, you can have
1: ambition, but not too much.
2: Women's rights are human rights once and
0: for all. We realize the importance of light when we see darkness. America's women are tired of hearing that pay inequality isn't real. Women around the world are not yet always taught by their immediate environment that they are strong, powerful,
1: beautiful, and equal. Playing like a girl means you're a badass. Hey, Riveters. It's your friend, Sally Smith. Hi, Riveters. It's Buffy Wicks. And we are here to tell you that everything's going to be okay, kind of. Group hug. (laughs) Group hug, everyone. Group hug. (laughs) Oh, my
2: gosh. We're Uh, still a nation. We're still a nation, you guys. We, We haven't deteriorated totally at the seams just yet.
1: I feel like I don't even need coffee anymore. I just operate off of anger and adrenaline of (laughs) the embarrassment I feel every day. Yeah.
2: At the same time, though, and I know that we've talked about this before, like I do find glimmers of hope in what is happening in terms of the resistance movement and all these amazing people who are running for office, um, which is awesome. So there is hope. There's hope, Sally. Okay, fine. I hate hate to sound all 2007 (laughs) hopey and changey but I do feel like there is <laughs> some, and, and I actually, I spoke at an event this week um, called Joyous Persistence in San Francisco. Oh, yeah. And it was amazing. And it was full of all these amazing women who were just like... Out there organizing, we talked to the woman who um, was one of the lead organizers on um, organizing the protests at San Francisco Airport during the Muslim ban. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. she was like so inspiring. So I don't know, it was awesome, and I feel like those types of things, like if you can find yourself in those types of environments, people, go do it. You'll feel much better.
1: I feel like I need a march to happen again really soon, just for my emotional health. Like well, I, need to be I have no doubt. People. I have no doubt
2: Trump will do something. <laughs> Oh, totally man. um offensive and ridiculous um and detrimental to the country. Yeah, and in the next will, will 10 rise minutes, and act. Yeah, and then there will be a march. So don't worry, Sally. There's one right around the corner. So Sally, I wanted to check in with you on how your family's doing. I know that um one of your family members
1: had been picked up by ICE, right? Right. And he's a legal resident and he's 64 years old. And, um, you know, cares for his blind wife. He had no reason to be picked up by ICE. They came with like dozens of officers to his house at 7 a.m. And, um, you know, I'm I'm not in Houston. I'm in L.A. So I'm hearing about this now secondhand. But um, my brother was at, you know, his court hearing because um, he's in detention for at least one to three months, which is insane. Um, but he went to the court hearing and he realized because you know, everybody has to show up at like 7 a.m. And then you kind of wait for your turn um throughout the day of like when you know your your actual hearing's gonna be. And he said that everybody without a lawyer is automatically deported. Wow. Isn't that insane? And you know, just imagine how many people that is. Like, so I feel really lucky because, I mean, I put something on Facebook and I had 50 people offer to help. We found a lawyer to do it pro bono. Um, thanks. I to don't, I don't, I didn't, friends. I didn't realize that, that that was yeah. the case. You're automatically deported if you don't have legal counsel. Apparently that's what my brother was saying was happening at least in this, um, in Houston. Wow. So. I mean, it's, it's absolutely insane. So, but we're, you know, we're hopeful. Um, we have a good case and, you know, just, uh, keep us in your thoughts and your hearts riveters. Oh yes.
2: Yes. You guys are in our hearts and our thoughts.
1: And on a lighter note, you're running for office still. (laughs) I'm still running for office. You guys, it's been, I've been running for
2: office now for, um, five, six days. Um, And it's been pretty crazy. It's so interesting, like, you know, obviously I've worked on a lot of campaigns and I've been sort of publicly out there for the president and Hillary Clinton and other elected officials um, uh, being sort of on the record for them and being sort of public facing for them. Um, So I'm used to what that feels like, but I am not used to what it feels like when it's you, you know, and everyone said, oh, it's different. Um, it is different, you know, because I'm out there now I'm running for office and under obviously my own name, the name of Buffy Wicks, which is quite (laughs) catchy and (laughs) people will not forget. People will not forget. (laughs) Um, it is just funny running, running under that name. Yeah, it's funny actually when I was looking at all the logos, you've seen it so many times, you know,
1: like your name is going to be
2: on yard signs. (laughs) Well, it was, but it was just funny because it's like, I look at my name. I'm like, my name is Buffy Wicks. Like that's kind of hysterical. (laughs)
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're just now figuring this out. I, yeah. love, you. I um, love you. So what is it like? Um, first of all, as you know, so proud of you, all of oh our thanks. friends are so proud of you, the whole Obama nation proud. Um, but what is it like, like, what does it feel like what's going on? Tell us everything. So, um, I launched with a video, um, uh launched via social
2: media and like the response was crazy i think the video has like 33,000 views what um which is awesome and exciting and the other thing is obviously the the biggest um marker of success early in a campaign is donations yeah. right um and so everyone puts so much value on how much money you can raise how many donors you have and um especially early on like that's the indicator both to i think like the press and also, also the political people in sacramento and everyone else Um, and that's been really nice to see. I'm getting a lot of money being raised. And it's also interesting. A lot of my contributions are people who I don't have like a really close direct relationship with, um, which kind of surprised me because I thought, of course, like my friends and family will donate, right? Um, but to see other people who I don't really know give is just like really, um, it's like humbling, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it makes me want to just, I'm just like, oh my God, I want to do this so right for all of these people. And I want to advocate on, the, on all these issues I care about because all these people care about it too, you know? And it's not even about me at all. It's about advocating for the things we believe in. Um, and I know that sounds like really cheesy, but it's just like, there are people out, in this country and in my district and in this state who believe in me, you know? Yeah. Um, and it's just, suckers. I don't know. What it's, suckers. <laughs> <I> know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and
2: and they believe, kidding. right. No, it's true. And it's like, you know, but, and they believe in, in what I'm talking about and I'm talking about equity and I'm talking about, you know, economic security and women's issues and all these sort of progressive ideas. Um, and people believe in that. So I don't know, it's just very heartwarming. It's also a little vulnerable feeling. Cause yeah. you know, like you're embarking on this campaign and I don't want to mess up. Right. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to do the wrong thing. Right. But I'm going to mess up. Right. I mean, it's, it's human. Nobody's nature. perfect. No one's perfect. And so I have to go out there and just like, I think this is where you have to really rely on that inner confidence Mm. To know that even if you're going to mess up, even if if you're going to say the wrong thing, like you're doing this for the right intention and totally. you're doing this because you believe in what you're doing. And there are going to be people that disagree, people that disagree. But like as long as I have my North Star and what I believe in, then it's okay, you know? Yeah. So Sally – you were on the television screen. For I was first on the interview. television
1: screen, and not just for skyping my dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> you had seen an interview. Tell us about it. Oh my gosh. Okay. First of all, I know you do a lot of TV, and it's probably old, old hat to you, but this is the first time I've ever done an interview, and. On TV, and uh, it was so nerve-wracking. It was CNN International. I was talking about the Rohingya um, issue in Burma and our virtual reality film and, that we made, and how VR is, um, you know, can be used for creating empathy and social good. And but the, I wasn't live in a studio with somebody in front of me. The person was in Hong Kong, so they put me in this tiny room. It's all black. You have these blaring lights at you. You're just looking at a camera and you have an earpiece. Yeah, And literally there's not a single other human being. No, I know. And you you. have to make eye contact with the like camera and hold it. Yeah, it's hard. Oh my God. It was so nerve wracking. And I thought I was going to throw up or die or pass out, but I didn't. I didn't. Good job, Sally. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, And so I'm really excited about that just because like the first time I watched it, I was like, you know, of course, so critical of myself. I was like, oh, that was terrible. And then... I watched it again and I didn't think it was so bad. So, you know, I think the point is that these things are scary, but like you said about your race, it's not about me and my ego. It's really that I'm so worried about doing the best job possible for the people that I'm trying to help. Yeah. Um, And if I don't do that, I feel like I've let them down. And, um, you know, (laughs) not everybody's done TV. And if you ever have the opportunity to do it, I would just say do it because it's, it might be scary, but you only have to do it the first time once. Yep. And then next time will be easier onward and upward, right? Yes. Well, congratulations <laughs> on your first um, TV TV hit. Congratulations on running for office and totally kicking ass. Everybody's oh, so thanks, proud friend. of you. Seriously. Oh, thanks. It's going to be fun. It's going to be wild. It's going to be a lot of ups and
2: downs, but I'm excited about it.
1: Buffywicks.com. a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> yes
2: exactly well let's get to our guest um i recently sat down with oakland mayor libby Schaff, who is a rising star out here in california um, and she's the mayor of my home city oakland so let's get to libby
1: all right sounds good see you later see you later buffy bye
2: this season of the riveters is brought to you by amalgamated bank not all banks are created equal Not all banks invest in progressive causes. Not all banks champion women's rights, workers' rights, and immigrants' rights. Not all banks are committed to a greener, more sustainable planet. Not all banks seek true financial opportunity for all. But this one does, Amalgamated Bank, the bank of the progressive community. Move your money to Amalgamated. To learn more, visit amalgamatedbank.com forward slash riveters, member FDIC. So, you are from Oakland, Mayor Libby Schaaf, uh, born and raised, I believe, correct? Born
0: and raised in Oakland.
2: Um, I should say also, we're in your office. It's a gorgeous office. Um, and I'm jealous that you get to come work here every day. Um, it's, a, it's a privilege.
0: Yeah, it's 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 pretty amazing. So tell me, where in Oakland are you from? Well, you know, I live in a section called the Diamond section. It's kind of right above the Fruitvale, somewhat in the middle of the city. You know, I've, I've rotated around Oakland a bit but I find it hard to leave. Yeah, well, we're glad that you're here. And tell me a little bit about your upbringing. What what were your parents like? What are they like and what what do they do? You know, my parents uh, were not political at all, uh, which was just a fine thing. But my mom in particular was a huge community volunteer. Yeah. And the importance of being connected to your community was something that she really instilled in us growing up. And I just, some of my earliest memories are, you know, her making me wear a sandwich board during the intermissions of oh my the God. symphony concerts and running around asking people to donate money to music education programs. I love that. Yeah. yeah so, that's where you got your start in politics was, was the sandwich <laughs> board. Yeah, <laughs> Yes, yeah, but asking for money yeah. served me well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> Yeah, so my mom, um, my parents weren't very political. My mom's since gotten more political since I've, I've become political, but she was a big community activist. And so in, in a way that was not in a political way. And I feel like that's often the case, right? We have parents that come, they're really kind of entrenched in the community that can then lead to a political career.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, because it's very, it's all connected.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. And
0: I was a Girl Scout that really both um, nurtured leadership and independence and confidence in me um, as a young girl. Uh, I'm really thankful to Girl Scouting also as a very important part of my upbringing. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, that's great. And so what um, what was your kind of first foray into politics? You know, I had this godmother who was amazing. She was the first woman to be hired by the Associated Press as a photographer in the 1930s. Her name was Mary Lawrence. And she started taking me to League of Women voter events as well as ERA rallies, you know, back when people were really pushing for the Equal Rights Amendment to the Constitution. So she's the one who really whetted my appetite around politics and particularly local politics. I remember her taking me to two particular things. One, hearing Angela Glover Blackwell, who is still just one of my heroes. Uh, she was She's founder of PolicyLink. She really yeah. is one of our leading voices on equity yeah. and the importance of equity. And I just remember hearing her, and it was almost like a religious experience. Like, I would follow this woman anywhere. And really talking about how we can transform community.
2: Yeah. And
0: then I also remember a debate, ironically, about the strong mayor form of government. Uh, Oakland for a long time has had what's called a city manager form uh-huh. of government, but there was debate back then about whether or not it should be made a strong mayor form of government. That change, in fact, happened in 1999, not that long ago, long after I heard that debate. Yeah. Uh, little did I know that I one day would be a strong mayor yeah. in the city of Oakland. So um, what motivated your initial run to run for city council? You know, um, again, I, I want to really... Sh- lift up the role of mentors. Um, my godmother had passed away, but I had this other kind of godmother a woman named Judy Johnson. And I had just gotten laid off from my job at the port of Oakland. And she dropped off on my doorstep, uh, Nancy Pelosi's biography and an application for the Emerge California program oh, nice! with a post-it on it saying, you have to do this. And I had been working behind the scenes. I had been, you know, the chief of staff. I'd been special assistant to the mayor, Jerry Brown, when he was the mayor. You know, I'd been behind the scenes for years and I just hadn't really thought about doing it. It hadn't even like dawned on you to like, yeah. (laughs) But, um, you know, this mentor of mine really pushed me to apply for the eMERGE program. I got in thinking, well, I might run for office someday you know, someday in the distant future, maybe when my kids are older. And I did that program and it just slapped me in the face. What are you waiting for? That's so great. (laughs) That's so
2: great. And just for our listeners, Emerge is a program that helps women um, put together their Resources and teaches them how to run and the importance of it and all the importance of raising money and building your
0: community and all those sorts of things. It's fantastic. Right. It's a candidates boot camp. It's for Democratic women. Yep. Um, and it's in multiple states now, just not in California. Yeah. And, I, you know, we're seeing sort of
2: in this. Trump resistance movement. I'm hearing from a lot of young women who are like, I want to run. Who I, who It's kind of surprised me in a really great way. So I sort of feel like, you know, while there's a, a ton of negative things about his presidency, I think the exciting thing is that all this civic engagement and energy that's existing out there right now.
0: Absolutely. We can thank Trump for activating the resistance. Yes, exactly. I know, <laughs> I know, and good things will come from that. Um, so so that's a good segue.
2: I want to talk a little about Trump. Um, you know, obviously, he's been trying to deny federal funding for sanctuary cities. Oakland is a sanctuary city. Um, Can you talk a little bit about what
0: a sanctuary city is um, and kind of your position on that? Yeah, we are loud and proud to be a sanctuary city. And the minute that Trump was elected, we did not in any way back um, away from that status. We ran towards it. We lifted it up. We reaffirmed that status. We also put some money where our mouth was. We actually put in emergency funding right away for a rapid response, deportation, defense, and rights education effort being led by uh, a collection of groups in Oakland led by Centro Legal de la Raza. Mm -hmm. Um, For us, we are very clear about our values in Oakland. Oakland is a city that is about diversity and inclusion. Uh, Roughly a third of our residents are immigrants, uh, and we have always had a policy where we do not ask people what their immigration status is. We are clear that the role of our local law enforcement is to make the city safer, creating fear around accessing social services, medical care, public education. When you make people afraid to access those services, you make your city less safe, not more safe. Mm -hmm. And how have have you seen other things
2: in terms of Trump and how it's, it's Trump's presidency's impact at the local level and what that means beyond the sanctuary city piece?
0: You know, even in a sanctuary city like Oakland where we've made very clear that we do not in any way collaborate or collect information that could be used by the federal government to enforce immigration laws, still the level of fear is felt every day. We're seeing families not showing up for medical appointments. Mm -hmm. We're seeing absenteeism skyrocket, particularly in our Latino communities, Mm -hmm. in our schools. That is not serving anyone. So even in a sanctuary city like Oakland, we are absolutely feeling the impacts. And then of course, I just presented my proposed budget and how disheartening to have to show significant reductions in things like uh, funding for homeless, um, funding for affordable housing and community services through the community block grant program. Um, Our head start is something that we were fearing would be. you know, at risk, Uh, and then huge reductions in job training dollars, Mm -hmm. all as a result of the, you know, proposed budget out of Washington, DC, and the threats that this president has made to really do harm to our most vulnerable.
2: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, Oakland obviously is a city with a strong history of activism. This is where the Black Panthers are from. I know one of the founders of Black Lives Matters from Oakland. And there's a huge kind of um, history of civic engagement and activism here That's and, right and resistance before people called it resistance you know <laughs> um, that you is was, that's in Oakland's DNA. yeah exactly <laughs> we are we are scrappy fighters right is who we are which I which is which is amazing and I love it so much um what what are you seeing now in terms of the activism on the streets here in Oakland vis-a-vis Trump
0: um you know it, it was disheartening um, to wake up the day after election day, feeling so depressed, and then seeing people breaking windows and vandalizing Oakland. Mm -hmm. Um, That that was uh, uh, an almost twilight zone moment for me. Like how can trashing the most progressive, diverse city in America be an appropriate way to protest this presidency? But I'm pleased that very quickly that um, ended and I've seen so much constructive outpouring of activism. The Women's March in Oakland was magical. It was transformational. The level of energy, and we um, did not dream that with all the different activities going on everywhere in the Bay Area, we would have the kind of turnout that we had. And it was just the most joyous, energized, you know, um, angry, but in in a good way. Right, 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 Uh, right. in a very empowering way. Yes, oh, the crowd was phenomenal. Everybody felt so great about that moment. yeah. And since then, there've been all sorts of, you know, workshops, days of action. I mean, people are using this to mobilize people. One great effort I love is the Tech Equity Collective. Yeah, those guys are great. I'm friends with Catherine Bracey, yeah. Love Catherine Bracey. But yeah. the, the, what they're seeing, um, the you know, companies have been reluctant to take political yeah. positions, although I think Mark Benioff at Salesforce is somebody to really lift up who's yeah. doing that differently. Yeah. But what's happening is the employees are pushing their companies to get involved and not stand silent.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, it is really interesting. It is interesting to see kind of the the tech community's response to a lot of the stuff that's going on, and for a lot of the these tech communities, things like ACA and some of the other policies are really important for their workforce. You know, um, so it impacts them in a bottom line kind of way. You know, um, no, I, I completely agree. So. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Um, so Oakland is very much led by women, um, which is exciting. Woman mayor, fire chief, police chief, city attorney, city city administrator, etc. Um, that shouldn't be an unusual thing, right? That should that should just be like a norm if we want it to be or or not, you know. Um, but sadly it's it's pretty unique, you know, um, in the United States. Do you um what do you think the barriers of entry are for women to sort of achieve these leadership roles at the city level, um, and and what can we
0: do to support women to be in leadership roles at the city level? Well, I know mostly about uh, what research shows us are barriers for women in political leadership, but I would suspect that that these truths are transferable to other non-traditional power roles for yeah. women. The first thing is women consistently underestimate their own qualifications. Mm-hmm. Um, they've run studies where they have identical resumes and the women always say, oh, I'm not ready. I'm not qualified. Where the men think I'm ready for this like yesterday. Oh, you know, those two things that I have no experience with, I'll figure that out. Right. Um, I mean, just look at our president. Yeah, clearly, <laughs> completely unqualified, did not stop him from running and winning. Yeah, uh, so you know, let that be a lesson to all of us. Um, and so, in politics, they say women really need to be asked. And so, if if we can all take a lesson from that, encourage, ask talented women that you know to step up into these leadership roles, whether it be in politics or in the business uh, world you know, go for it Uh, to see your own value. Yeah. The second issue is guilt around outside obligations, particularly to children, to family, to the household. Um, Women constantly feel that second job that they have. And that is a huge barrier for women in politics, particularly yeah. since, um, I'm very fortunate. I get to be the full-time mayor. I get paid a full-time salary. Most political positions you do kind of on top of your day job, unless you're independently wealthy. Right. No, I, I'm the
2: mother of a five-month-old daughter, uh, <laughs> and someone who works in politics. And it is, it's, it is harder, you know, when all of a sudden you have this kid and it's like, you feel this, obvious responsibility, and also you want to be with your child. You know what I mean? So how do you navigate sort of balancing that? And in in a lot of houses now, women are still the primary caregiver, but also the primary breadwinner. So there's sort of this unique amount of stress, I think. And then
0: if you add sort of politics onto that, it's, it's a lot to juggle. And so that's why if you see a talented woman that you want to support, ask them if you can help drive their kids to school, ask them if you can come over and wash their dishes. I, have had so much help with these types of responsibilities. I have a girlfriend, she's a partner at a huge law firm. She came over and cleaned out my closet for me as her campaign donation. (laughs) Um, But, um, and then pick a good partner. How, How many kids do you have? I have two kids. Yeah. The first time I ran for office, they were two and four. Wow. And I had many people, including women, Say that I was irresponsible yeah. to run for office with such young children, and that hurt. I'm yeah. not going to say it didn't, but we have got to stop guilt tripping each other. In particular, yeah. And I'm I'm lucky. Um, you know, I always tell the story. My my first campaign, the first time you run for an office, it is amazing how intense and how many hours you put to it into it, particularly at the end when, yeah. when that finish line is in sight. And it had been, you know, a night where I literally had not seen my children awake for three consecutive days. Oh, that's hard. Yeah. I'd been out of the house before they were awake. i had gotten back home after they were asleep. And, and I'll tell you, I, I'm not ashamed of this. I, I started to cry. Yeah. And I said to my husband, you know, I just, I feel like I'm a horrible mother. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I should take one day off of knocking on doors and be home for dinner. And he said, don't you dare. He said, part of being a good mother is setting an example. Part of being a good mother is not always being home for dinner, but to be out to make this community, this society, a better place for your children and other children to grow up in. That is being a good mother.
2: I love your husband. I do too. <laughs> you, cannot, you cannot have him. <laughs> okay. He is well, not I, available. I... <laughs> <laughs>
0: I do have a very good husband of my own, so no, that's amazing. That, that is so. That's so. That conversation meant the world to me. Yeah, and I, I just want other people who maybe aren't partners to also just how that message that there are many ways to parent. And I am very lucky because I'm born and raised in Oakland. My mom picks my kids up from school twice a week. My sister and her husband get mad if I don't ask them to babysit often enough. Mm. Um, So, you know, we do all need that village to help, um, you know, because these jobs are 24 seven.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. That's, that's a, that's a great story. And, um, I think you're right. The, the child rearing piece, I think is one of the most difficult pieces for women to run for office.
0: It is. And yeah. let's,
2: you know, we can talk about breastfeeding and I'm, pregnancy. Pretty, I'm currently breastfeeding and I like take my breast pump with me everywhere I go. And it's just like, have pump will travel, you know, <laughs> but it's the logistics around that are insane. You know? it, it, it is, it is the greatest
0: torture. I think women I, have to put up.
2: With. I, I know.
0: I know. Yeah.
2: Um, okay. So just, um, a couple more things here, and I know you've got to go and run the city. Um, and we
0: ask all of our guests this, um, what was your best day and worst day? You know, as the mayor of Oakland, both of those are hard questions because there are so many in each category. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you might think my best day was like the day of the warriors parade when I was dancing on a giant metal snail with MC hammer. And there were a million people in my city. Um, but really the best day was the day that um, I saw the first group of seniors get their scholarships, scholarship awards as part of an initiative that I started a little more than a year ago called the Oakland Promise. Yeah. Um, as mayor, I don't control education. I have no jurisdiction, but it is the thing I care most about. And I know that if I want to transform my city for the long term, I have to change the educational outcomes for the kids that grow up here. Because right now only 10% of my ninth graders are getting college degrees by the time they are 23. And in this economy, that is unacceptable. And so my first year as mayor, and I'm the 50th mayor of Oakland, and I turned 50. And uh, my staff all said, well, mayor, you gotta do something about this. Uh, How do you wanna celebrate? And I said, if there's one gift that the city of Oakland could give to me for my 50th birthday, it would be to raise enough funds to send 50 kids who will be the first in their families all the way through college. And in partnership with the East Bay college fund, which is a phenomenal organization. um, I got to sit up on a stage uh, about a year ago and meet the 50 young people that, um, were going to college due to the generosity uh, of people who wanted to support this vision. And the stories that they told, the challenges they had overcome. um, There was a young woman who had gotten pregnant with twins when she was 15 years old. Uh, There was a young man who had been in jail, had moved multiple times every single year he was in high school, going to UC Berkeley in the engineering department. I mean, it, it, it is what I live for to hear those types of transformational stories and to see opportunities given to such deserving and talented young people. Yeah. That was absolutely my best day. That's amazing. And what's been your most challenging? I think the hardest part of being the mayor is you, you hold tremendous grief and tragedy for the community. And um, every homicide that happens in our city, uh, I take personally. Um, And then of course, the the ghost ship fire in Oakland. Yeah. Uh, Day four, day four of the ghost ship fire. You know, we had been running a 24 seven operation to recover the victims. Uh, At that point, all the families had arrived from out of town and I, I was having to talk to people about things that no one should have to know about, like DNA swabs and cadaver dogs. And it just, it was so horrible. It was just horrible and heartbreaking. Um, and, you know, to sit down with these families and hear stories about their children, uh, in some cases their friends, their loved ones, And just to be with them and to try and bring them through this, this nightmare moment of their lives. Uh, So many of them, there's, there's just no level of grief that I think anyone can imagine. Yeah. But to be in the presence of that, that much loss. And yet these were just some of the most beautiful people I've, ever had the honor of meeting Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but that that was yeah very very difficult
2: it is it's challenging when you're the mayor like you said every time there's a tragedy you know you're probably one of the first people called one some of the first one of the first people to um voice the grief of the city you know in those situations um but I can think of no better person to do it than you
0: well well thank you thank you and and also often to to be the target of blame yeah but that is part of what we sign up for right when you're the mayor the buck stops at you right i mean that's the saying it it does and and people have a lot of expectations of government right now and yeah. i think that's something our country is grappling with our relationship with government with I democracy agree. yeah well and the republicans have done it you know they've
2: spent decades trying to undermine the institutions of our democracy you know, and tarnish them. And I think, um, I mean, the one great thing about California is we have a very functioning democracy here, Um, you know, uh, both the state, I think at the city level. My hope is that we can be kind of a progressive uh, uh, city on the hill, if you will, (laughs) um, for the rest of the country and passing progressive legislation, having sanctuary cities and all these things that we can be models for.
0: Government is our collective best selves. I mean, government done well brings us together and sees how much we have in common. yeah, And yet it feels like people are trying to divide us, create different groups yeah. um, of others. yeah, And that is not just good for um, us as human beings, but it is really damaging for democracy. Yeah. So one last question,
2: um, and I think i I know the answer to this, but I'll let you say it. Uh, what advice would you give
0: to your, young, your younger self? <laughs> well, first of all, like, don't be all, you know, cut up that he you just broke up with that guy, because there's another <laughs> one that's waiting for you that is way better, and you're not going to meet him until you're like 35 years old. That's uh, not what I thought you were going to say, but that is good advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, the other advice uh, I would give to my younger self is, um, you know, don't forget that probably the two most important qualities to success is not necessarily ambition or even um, work ethic, uh, although... You know, those, those are important, but um, curiosity and kindness, that how we advance in this world is so much due to the relationships we have with others and that people have long memories, Mm -hmm. both of kindness and lack of kindness. Yeah. And that um, we have to be lifelong learners. We have to, and we have to dig deep. We can't just assume that what we hear is true, (laughs) especially today. Uh, in this you know world of alternative facts yeah but also in this this new brave world of the internet where there's so much information out there curiosity and having kind of intellectual discipline to dig and find out what in fact is true
2: yeah yeah and on, on the kindness piece my mom always used to say when i would be thinking about going to another job or anything else she just said don't burn your bridges. You know, you never know. Like, you always want to, like, make sure you on your way out, treat people with utter kindness, even if you didn't have a good experience. Like, always be nice and kind no matter what.
0: Well, and that's hard. When you're campaigning, people, Especially
2: politics, people are,
0: mean. are mean. They are mean. They lie. They're horrible. Yeah. And you just have to take a lot of deep breaths and, and be centered in yourself. Right. And be very, very clear about what your values are. Yeah. Because once that campaign is over you have to govern. yeah, And often you need those same people that you were right. fighting against or, or in this battle with during the campaign to actually get things done once you're in office. Yep. And that's why you were in the campaign for to begin with, right. not to win the campaign, but to get things done, done in
2: office. Right, exactly.
0: Well, thank you so much
2: for taking the time to speak with us and our audience. I know we'll enjoy this. Uh, episode, So we really
0: appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. Thanks for lifting up women leaders.
2: Oh, well, you are the shining example. <laughs> thank you so much for listening. As always, check us out on iTunes. Please subscribe to our podcast and rate and review us. And you can follow us on Facebook or Twitter at The Riveter's Pod. And of course, as always, i like to thank our amazing and wonderful staff. Casey Wolf our executive producer, Sarah McCaney who's our content director, Al Daniels our sound engineer and by the way the only dude on our team, Emily Dalton Niles our digital director, Manesha Paruma, our web director, Hannah Kradock our research director and Lauren Thorbjornsen our
0: promotions director.
2: Thanks again everyone until next time.